This show is sponsored by IdealWorkspace.com, which promotes a healthier way of working through their adjustable standing desk. Check out their latest smart adjustable standing desk at Altizen.com. A-L-T-I-Z-E-N.com. Welcome to Analyze Asia, the podcast dedicated to dissect the pulse of business, technology, and media in Asia. In this episode, I speak to Alan Chan, co-founder of Vector Ventures in Hong Kong. We discuss his general perspectives as an investor on how Vector Ventures invests in startups and the evolution of the Hong Kong startup ecosystem. Hi, Alan. Hi, how are you? I'm good. Where are you based in now? Uh, I'm actually uh, based in Hong Kong, but you know, I'm on the plane a good amount, so let's call it Hong Kong for now. That's good. And I'm talking to Alan Chan, co-founder of Vector Ventures. And I got this through an introduction from another podcaster friend of mine, Jay Kim. So Alan, it's really great to have you on the show. In fact, you're probably the first venture capitalist I speak to about the investor scene in Hong Kong and of course your work with Vector Ventures. Before I start, I would like to get to know you better. How do you start your career? Yeah, well, thanks for having me. So I started my career... I think much like many individuals in Hong Kong, I came back from university and I immediately jumped into investment banking um, around 06. So, you know, that was the, the hot sector, high paying job at the time, all the Chinese companies IPOing. And so I was in investment banking, covering financial institutions for the first you know, three years of my career. How do you end up going into venture capital then? Yeah, so my journey is a bit, I mean, it's not very direct. You know, we started Vector in 2014. So in between, after quitting and leaving my banking job, she moved to China at that point and joined uh, a, a, another startup. So I was part of someone else's startup as a product manager, and we were fleshing out, you know, building a children's educational theme park. And so very different, very capital heavy, and, you know, not a startup in terms of what we think of nowadays. And then we did that in uh, Shanghai for around six to seven months. Unfortunately, due to circumstances, you know, outside of our company, we weren't able to find and partner with the greatest location that we had found. And because of that, building a physical location was a bit tough. We ended up scaling back and the founder decided, you know, to pull the plug. And so after that, I came back to Hong Kong and started working in the family office. So looking at real estate, market, private equity, you know, alternative investments across the board and spending time in China, you know, Europe uh, predominantly and, and some stuff in the U.S. So I did that for a while. Around 2010, I met my you know, then co-founder in really our, like our first startup or our first startup I've ever you know, sort of built myself from scratch. And we built a ticketing and entertainment platform in China. So it was a, like a merger of Fandango, Ticketmaster, and you know, Perez Hilton Online, if you will, like all mashed into a web and, uh, and mobile application. And so uh, we did that and, um, for a while and uh, ended up selling the company to a Chinese conglomerate in early 2014. And then in the meantime, I also picked up you know, a few other things. I tried to build another startup in the middle, focused on the NGO NGO space, trying to create some impact there, which I quickly found is easier said than done. And at the same time during that, started doing some personal investments, just being back in tech again and spending time in a family office and doing investments and sort of circled back in to start doing some early stage tech investments and which point, you know, started sharing some deals and built a very small private syndicate. You know, all those different experiences, I guess, 
built up towards after selling the company of, okay, so what should we do next? And it seemed like investments and early stage technology and whatnot seemed to be where it was interesting and where I found myself most interested. And that was what I was doing the past few years. And so, you know, all the different things, starting from the machine and uh, going like into different gigs and uh, eventually, you know, led to Vector Ventures. And that's a pretty interesting backstory you have there. So throughout your career journey, what are the interesting career lessons you can share with my audience? (laughs) I think the biggest lessons are, I mean, I realized a few things. You know, I realized different groups are very specific and very big and good at what they're doing for a reason. And, you know, there's a reason there's not one company that sort of does everything for everyone. That's one lesson I quickly learned while starting to, you know, being part of someone else's company and building uh, my own is that focus is really important and boiling the ocean, so to speak, is definitely not the way to go. So that's one lesson. Second lesson, I think, is about growth and realizing that a business... You know, coming from my first job, a business to me was very Excel sheet oriented and pitch deck oriented. And everything is very like theoretical and, oh, just, you know, cut costs here, increase revenue there. And it's sort of like these, you know, like no, no shit type of answers. (laughs) But once you get in the trenches, I realized it's very difficult. Cut 20% costs, sure. But like, so which 20% of the people are you going to fire? I mean, it's not easy. And what I realized was, you know, some of the things maybe I've said to people in my time as a banker or as my time as an investor sometimes was maybe a little bit simplified and like not very sensitive. <laughs> but I say, this is easy. Why can't you just do that? So I think that's really one big first. Qu- uh, yeah. So first lesson is don't boil the ocean. Second lesson I've learned is that, you know, focus and implementation and execution is really like 90% of everything. And then I guess my last lesson, which was you know, one that I learned not in the easiest way is particularly about the Chinese market, which is when looking at markets, especially China at the time, realizing the inflection point that China had already gone past the point of requiring outside assistance, being interested in your user habits, being interested in what you use and how you use it, and you're being the outside world. And what I realized was, you know, the market got big enough where they don't care. They still have their own habits. They have their own products. They have their own methodology. And to, you know, sort of realize that, you know, cookie cutting doesn't always work as well. And so learning that about China and learning that in general was like a very important lesson, I think, especially for, you know, a venture investor trying to invest across the globe is to really be culturally sensitive and understanding at the same time and like how that affects your business and the market. That comes to the main subject of the day, which is to talk to you about Vector Ventures and also the investor scene in Hong Kong. So I'm going to start off with Vector Ventures first. What's the motivation behind starting Vector Ventures for you and your co-founder? So what we realized was, you know, there are a lot of companies around the world doing very interesting things, but you know, Greater China is a tough market to crack. So are the different countries in Southeast Asia. So is, you know, Taiwan, Korea, and Japan. And so what we realized was, hey, so it is interesting, you know, it was driven by interest first of, you know, getting involved and investing in early stage companies and trying to find, you know, the next big thing, right? The dream of investing in something like 
less than 10 million and having it like IPO at like, you know, a hundred billion or 10 billion or even 1 billion, it doesn't matter. So that's the dream which drove everything. But over time, it was also a combination of interest, what we believed in our network and what we believed we could execute on and the strengths of that. You know, that was the motivation behind how we started Vector. And it didn't all come together at once. But, you know, over time, we started learning different lessons and piecing different parts of the puzzle together to get to uh, where we are today. But, you know, that's sort of what was the initial idea was starting from our syndicate days is that tech was very interesting. It can be very capital efficient and it's high risk, which makes it exciting, but that there was real value there. You know, if you could spend the time and see the right companies and get lucky enough to be involved with the right companies. And so it was sort of a a combination of those things. So what is your current role and coverage in Vector Ventures then? So my current role is to, you know, drive the strategy and to mainly look over the investment side of Vector. And so, you know, fundraising to deal structuring to you know making the investments to deal sourcing everybody does and to sort of also set the general direction of the different strategies and teams within our company is my main is you know what I spend most of my time on if I may ask what is the mission and vision of Vector Ventures where do you see the, the Vector Ventures going towards as a venture capital firm then yeah so for us that's a great question because that is exactly the question we asked ourselves uh, many, many times, myself at many times and as a group of three co-founders many times of, you know, so why us? What's the difference? There's like thousands of funds out there. Everyone can write checks. Everyone can spend time and there's tons of experts. And so why us? And so what we realized was a combination of things, including how we wanted to work with our companies and actually how we didn't want to work. The vision and mission of Vector. So the mission of Vector is to very pragmatically to invest in great companies that have huge potential and to be able to return way more capital back to our investors than they gave us. I mean, that's the practical, that's the mission, right? But the vision of how we want to execute that is a little bit, you know, nuanced or complicated. Is that we both want to be an investor, but we also want to be able to directly be involved with helping our companies, you know, expand in the region, think about product, and generally think about strategy, business growth, and uh, technology when it comes to expanding into a different part of the world. And so what we ended up doing is, you know, we want to be the best partner for greater China and sometimes Asia Pacific expansion for our portfolio companies, but to be some type of guide so that we can help them avoid all the pitfalls and all the things that I've done wrong and my co-founders have done wrong in their business. And so really is to be a real partner that can not only write the check, but to be in the trenches and really help build product, really help think about product, think about practical problems like, you know, the cloud and jumping over the wall and a variety of things. And that's our vision is to be the best partner for our companies in expanding into the region or even within the region and with a very hands-on and sort of hybrid and a dynamic approach versus just writing the check. A very curious question. Do you have an investment thesis? And if so, can you share? What is it? Uh, we have evolving investment thesis. And so because of the way we were set up, we do not have a very firm and specifically, you know, sort of cornered mandate of like what stage and what types of companies we can invest in. Our thesis changes and we have new ones that come up as we see the world evolve. So over three years, we've invested across almost every single sector, pretty much other than 
biotech and you know healthcare. And we've covered robotics, IoT, VR, AR, other digital media, B2B, B2C software, fintech, impact-driven consumer brands, and, you know, even some education. You know, so we like to think of ourselves as being in like a dynamic position, which makes it maybe a bit difficult. But with our network and our investors, we're sort of put in that position because they do cover a lot and they do a lot. And so we try to be as helpful and as smart as we can in uh, both helping our companies and helping our corporate partners and investors alike. And I went through your website on Vector Ventures and I know that you have a pretty interesting team. Do you want to share, like, for example, your co-founder and who they are and some of your team members of Vector Ventures and what are their specialization? Yeah, so we have a few different functions. So across the founders, you know, there's myself, you know, ex-banker, startup investment, and then into the and then this, and then my other co-founder Arthur, who has also been uh, has built his own uh, companies, has been part of uh, large corporations doing sales across across the Pacific, trying to get things from China into U.S. and vice versa, and also in the family office of real estate. And then we've got a third partner who is X Waterloo IBM and then moved back to China and built his own ad tech company in China for a while. And then also is helping on uh, uh, his family business side, which is related to real estate. But in China, you know, that touches a lot of different things. And so, you know, all three of us ultimately have this undertone of like real estate involved from family wise to sort of historically. But so those are like three co-founders. And, you know, we've all met at different times. Arthur and I have been, you know, pretty much part of the same group and, you know, best friends since kindergarten. And then uh, Adrian, I met while building my startup, the ticketing startup, because it was based in Guangzhou and he was based in Guangzhou. And we met during a due diligence meeting where we were both sent to go do due diligence on something on behalf of, you know, our family office and, and you know, investors. And uh, that's how we met. And so the three of us, you know, became, you know, very good friends and started working together. And then other members of our team, we've got someone that 12 years in Adobe Advanced Research Lab to... 10 plus years in Microsoft and spent time in Zynga and building games and products his whole career to, you know, people that are in finance that have been in uh, both buy side research and then investment relations and hedge funds and mutual funds to, you know, bankers also turned into entrepreneurs slash operators, uh, which have joined us. And then, you know, we've got other more specialized like data scientists and then our investment team are from a variety of backgrounds, like, you know, private banking, consulting, straight out of university even. And so, you know, our team, we would like to say like, is fairly diverse and we like it that way. We like to have very different views, experiences and different voices so that we try to cover as many angles as possible whenever we have one conversation. So how do you identify founders of startups to invest in? What are the key traits you look in them then? If we go very early stage, I like to think about the motivations behind a founder and why they're doing something. And what's really important to me is also, you know, other than why they're doing it is why they think they can do it. Not only what drives them, but, you know, what differentiates them. And by that, it really is important to me to also through that conversation to see if this founder is practical and understands where what battle is fighting or slightly delusional on how simple or how effective or how great 
what they're doing is. And so that's a really important part of uh, a founder or founders. When it comes to founders, I like to see why they're working together, what tells me that this is a good team. Like, did they just meet? Did they meet on some online platform? And just the, the key is to figure out how easy it is for these guys to just walk away from each other. And that's really, really important. You know, we've invested in companies before where it seems like a great team. And then when things go down, you'd really need a very like solid and unified like founding team. And that is not always the case. You want people that are willing to sink and swim together versus suddenly like start pushing people down to stay afloat. And, you know, that those things are really important. And of course, on top of that is like, you know, academic background, working experience, uh, domain expertise. And, you know, those are like, you know, sort of the hard skills. But on the soft side is really to try to understand why them, why now, and, you know, what are they doing this for? And uh, those things are really important to us. How do you help founders when their startups are in trouble? I mean, what are the do nots you usually tell them and how do you help them to mitigate it then? (laughs) Uh, This part is interesting. I mean, I think what... The do nots, what I've learned now is do not help a founder figure out how their business works. When I first started investing, I would get very excited when I find companies that I feel like I can give a lot of value and can give a lot of input and give a lot of direction, which this founder accepts. What I've realized now is that there's fundamentally a problem with that because someone that spends a thousand times more time on a subject than I do if they can take my opinion on something that quickly and it's something they haven't thought about, that's not a good thing. And so what I realized is a do not is do not push words, strategy or methodology into a founder that they don't agree with because one, they'll either do like do it off of what they believe so they can't do it well. Or two, they'll tell you that they're doing it and they're actually not, which doesn't help anybody. Or, you know, lastly is, you know, if I wanted to run somebody's business, I would have started that business versus being starting like a VC or being in my position. And so what I learned, a do not is what I've been, you know, even talking to my team is help them think about strategy, help them think about how to execute, help them think about how to make life easier, but do not be the one driving their business. I was like, this is how your business should be. This is how you should do it. And like, this is like the ways to go about it. And like with this method and like that has never worked in my opinion, because, you know, you need the founders to be the driving force behind it and not you driving them and turning them into your employee effectively. That's pretty good words of wisdom because ultimately founders actually are the ones who should be driving their company with their own vision by getting advice from the venture investors. I thought I would want to ask what are the interesting companies on the Vector Ventures portfolio then? Oh, depends what you find interesting. I mean, number-wise and name-wise, you know, I would say, you know, one of our most interesting companies is a company called NextVR. They do live broadcasting of sports, music, and other live events through VR. So they take you to the front row. They take you into the seat. And that has done, you know, very well for us. And it's a great company. Another one that I'm very excited about that, you know, just recently announced a Series B in Hong Kong is a company called Dayday Cook. And she is the young, dynamic version of, you know, China's Martha Stewart, if you want to put it that way. But a very, like, new generation. And she's doing great work. Uh, Norma is, you know, tons of traffic, lots of fans, great content, an evolving brand. 
and really being able to establish brand value from a purely independent digital media channel, like how she first started, which has been a long, like three to four years, but it was from like 200 something thousand viewers a month out of Hong Kong to, you know, last month doing north of like 250 million views in a month. And that's like significant progression. And we giggle about it sometimes even just like, like who, who would have guessed? Like, I mean, that's like a lot of zeros on top of it. And, you know, that has been an amazing journey to be part of. But, you know, personally, you know, there's companies we're involved in, like a land, land life company is a company we invest in uh, Amsterdam that, you know, like it's something very important to me. And I really believe in the vision and are helping and hope that it picks up and becomes a big business because it needs to become a big business or PSO to fulfill the vision, which I think all your listeners should want. And what they do is they have a method and technology to grow trees in places where traditionally the average might be like single digit yield, if not zero yield. And they've been able to produce results north of 70%, if not 80% most of the time in the harshest places. And they're able to reforest just like broken and destroyed land, which, you know, as we all know, <laughs> is growing at a very unhealthy pace and, you know, trying to save the world from us before we start making other technology like prevalent. I feel, you know, that's very important to me because I think it's a great business and it also has a great end goal by helping transform, you know, the world and making an impact and, you know, sort of touching everybody and hopefully in a very long lasting and meaningful way. And so I find them all very interesting in different ways, but I can always find our company, our own portfolio interesting because I'm inherently biased, right? <laughs> Okay, then I'll ask the follow-up question then. I thought I didn't ask this, but I know that your investments are not limited to Hong Kong, right? It also extends to overseas. Where else do you invest in then? So our portfolio is actually around 70% in the US and Europe, and the other remaining 30% between Asia Pacific. Uh, we only have one portfolio company in China. And so our thesis is really to invest outwards and look for things that could make sense coming this way. And, and that's where we try to provide value in you know, product partnerships and even like further capital. And that's where we try to be uh, most valuable to our portfolio companies. I want to come to talk to you about the Hong Kong investor ecosystem. I mean, first of all, I, I want to get your investor's lens and see how does the Hong Kong startup ecosystem have evolved from your perspective as an investor? So the startup side, there's been a lot of iterations, I think. So copy the Hong Kong models to tweaking models in Hong Kong to now seeing more and more just coming right out of the box and saying like, hey, we see a certain value here. It's not based on anything, but of course there's similar businesses. But really being able to start companies from like a real driven internal belief versus just saying, oh, this works in London, so why don't I try it here? And we've seen an evolution of that even over the past few years, of course, increasing amount of conferences and corporate storing events and just all types of things in the ecosystem. That has really been a big change. We were talking to a founder once and I was saying, you know, if you're going to spend your next two years trying to follow your dreams anyways, you might as well try to follow your dreams, which 
should make sense in a business case first, you might as well follow your own dreams versus implementing someone else's dreams and telling yourself that it's yours. Because chances are 90% chance that it might not, it probably won't work anyways. So you might as well go for something you truly believe in and something you think has size and something you want to do because it's not fun (laughs) being a startup founder. And those nights and those days where you're just like, why am I sitting here? What the hell am I doing? Those nights and those days, you need to have your own belief to be driving forward, right? And not to be like, oh, I picked the wrong thing and now I'm stuck because I have investor money and like I have a team and what am I supposed to see? And it's like a big of people that have found things and didn't work and then tried to be a little more bold and then like, and even a little more bold and also the increasing amount of multinational tech companies hiring teams in, uh, across Asia Pacific. There's a lot more talent now that is just like seeing oh, how things should be done, how other companies run things, and to believe that like, hey, like maybe I can't build like Uber, but I see a lot of problems that I can attack and I can figure out how to address those markets. And uh, so I've seen a big evolution there in terms of the companies and like founders and, you know, the types of pitches and people we see nowadays has really changed over the past few years. And, and where do you see the challenges of Hong Kong startup ecosystem from your perspective? Like, for example, in Singapore, we are a small population of 5 million people. So there's no choice but for the startup to quickly think about scaling into the other markets. I think that similarly, I think Hong Kong and Singapore are pretty similar because we are both financial centers and we have a relatively small population. Where do you see the challenges come from then? I think one of the biggest challenges in Hong Kong, I think for Singapore at least, the obvious market seems to be Southeast Asia, right? Right in the middle of it. I think the problem with Hong Kong is going north or going south is not well-defined in terms of when you scale. Do you scale into China or do you scale down into Southeast Asia just like Singapore? And I think that is something that is not easy and hard to navigate. Hong Kong, again, is also a small market, but we do have a huge tourist market, right? Several times our population. So what do you do and how do you build a business? And can you build a business based out of Hong Kong that really services many other markets? So I think that inherently is interesting to think about just like what types of businesses scale well from one place versus, you know, needing to set up like a directory and then needing to replicate that over a hundred cities versus servicing a hundred cities from one place. And I think, you know, it has similar issues as Singapore, but market small and again, quickly thinking about expansion capital sometimes of like, so who do you go for funding? Hong Kong investors, Chinese investors, or like other Asian Pacific investors? Or do you go for the US? Like, I mean, you know, if Israel can go for the US, why can't Hong Kong or Singapore, right? Just, you know, what's the difference? And so I think it has like similar difficulties, but Maybe a little bit of cabin fever too, right? Like you're always in Hong Kong, it's a great place, much like Singapore. And then if you only think about this market, you know, how many things are there truly to disrupt and how many things are interesting to build as a service and how many things of those actually turn out to be interesting for investors. And I think that's also very different. And so within a small market, once you talk about expansion into countries and cultures and laws that are different, I think that is fundamentally very difficult and complicated. So, you know, Hong Kong definitely has that problem of north or south. I always thought that the the natural instinct for startups from Hong Kong is actually going north to China because for that market, once you get one of the cities right, you could actually scale across the rest of the mainland China cities. So maybe we just never see from your perspective that actually can go north and south in that perspective. Well, yeah, because the thing is, right, Hong Kong's domestic 
culture is only probably marginally less different than like Singapore and China, if that makes sense, right? So because of that divide, like it just because we're right next to it doesn't mean anything. China is like very daunting, right? Like we don't invest in China because I realized back then that like China doesn't need our input. Like we need their input. <laughs> like in terms of innovation and fintech and products and everything. I mean, like Hong Kong doesn't really have much other than the stock market to like be teaching. In many ways, they have more innovative tech products. They have bigger tech companies. Their tech companies are further reaching into our daily life. Even in real estate, they have like more innovative like design and real estate restriction laws. They have more complex like mixed properties. They have better and more like, you know, innovative laws and to rip down old and put up new things. And there's a lot of things that I realize I'm like, hey, like, I mean, why did, why, what's the advantage? There is no advantage. And so, you know, that's a really big part of it, I think. That's one of the lessons, right, of realizing the center of the universe sort of mentality, you know, is not helpful and it doesn't, it just doesn't really help. And so being from Hong Kong, China's right there, but it's a totally different market. I might as well go to the U.S. I have a question to ask before I get into the last question of the day. I see from your profile that you have been very into environment protection and uh, things, the issues that matters to the environment. Is that an interest of yours or is this something that you have been really focused on building a social enterprise on top of it at some point? I mean, this is just a personal thing. I just really believe that we're very good at producing things, but we're not very good at figuring out how to produce it without you know, pretty much killing everything. I think the environment and whatnot is something that's very important. You know, I enjoy it. Uh, I'm not like a super outdoors person, but you know, I enjoy, you know, nature, like being out there in like summer, winter, and like, you know, even on vacation, going to the beautiful places. And it's just a personal passion and something that I believe is definitely a long-term goal because every day that I've been alive, I think the problem's only gotten worse and it actually never has gotten any better. And so I think it's a very worthwhile thing to, for myself to be passionate about and to see like what ways there are to, you know, do a little bit, uh, whatever it is. And I just, you know, without that, like there's nothing else. And so, you know, of all issues that I choose to be very, very uh, interested in, nature is, uh, is the one. I just have to add that um, Alan is a board of trustees member China for the Nature Conservancy that is based in Beijing, China. So it's pretty interesting. He has a very interesting background to actually tell his backstory on that. But it always comes to my last and final question. How do my audience find you? Most of the time they find me for a quick response is through a, a warm introduction, much like, you know, like Jay. If I get connected with people uh, through introductions, I, I can be very, very fast at replying. What I'm not very good at is replying sort of cold calls, just because it's sort of one of these 80-20 rules I set for myself. And so, you know, walking up to me in an event is one way, but generally through introductions is uh, the fastest and surefire way that, you know, I will 100% reply and be reachable. And do you have uh, social media handles that people can contact you on? Yeah, I do. Uh, I mean, I, I use Twitter and LinkedIn as my two main ones. I have Facebook and Instagram, I sort of keep just to myself. But on those ones too, you know, um, I'll respond sometimes, but I'm not very good at responding if it's, you know, I can't really see the connection or if it's just like a random ad or direct message. 
then I'm a little bit wary just because um, not that I'm trying to be, you know, uh, selective because my time is so important, but it's just because, you know, I need to be able to prioritize for for those that I'm already working with and uh, in contact with. And so, you know, it's better to get in touch with me and, and ping me through people I already know. And you can find me at blongcw.bernardleong.com. Subscribe to us at Analyze Asia, A-N-A-L-Y-S-E Asia. You can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Acast, TuneIn, and of course, Google Play in the U.S. market. Tweet to me, recommend us on Overcast, give us a five-star rating on the iTunes store. And of course, most important, drop me your feedback. Once again, Alan, thank you for coming on the show. Thank you so much, Bernard.